Grid Forward Chats is supported by iTron. Thanks for your support to make our discussions about grid modernization and energy innovation possible. Microgrids are a key component to a sustainable energy future. And to discuss the trends in microgrids worldwide, guest host Cameron Brooks is going to be talking with Terry Moan of General Microgrids and Hamide Bitaroff of Hitachi Energy. Take a listen. Hey, well, welcome here today. Uh, my name is Cameron Brooks. I serve as the executive director of a group called Think Microgrid, and I'm also a proud member of the Grid Forward community, and so happy to be here guest hosting this uh, episode of Grid Forward Chats. We're going to talk today about microgrids, what they are, how they're being used today, what some of the opportunities and challenges are. Um, I'm excited to be joined by two great guests who can share their experiences uh, as we move through this conversation. So thanks so much for joining us. I'd like to turn the microphone over first to Hamada with Hitachi. If you could maybe just tell us a little bit about your background and what you work on today and how your world intersects with microgrids. We'd love to hear it. Sure. Uh, thanks, Cameron, for having me. Uh, I'm a senior advisor in Good Edge Solutions at Hitachi Energy. I'm based out of uh, Denver, Colorado, and uh, I have more than 10 years of experience in power industry. Uh, my work at Hitachi Energy is focused on uh, identifying value proposition for uh, customers who are interested in energy storage and microgrid solutions. And I work with a variety of customers from utilities to commercial and industrial segment. And um, yeah, so um, I want to make a lasting uh, impact uh, on uh, helping to uh, make the future grid uh, that could be from, um, uh, that relies on energy storage, renewables, and uh, uh, carbon-free emissions. Great. Thank you. Well, it's wonderful to have you joining us. And our other guest is Terry Moan, joining us from Western Australia. Terry, could you share a little bit of your background and how it intersects with microgrids? Thanks, Cameron. Very nice uh, for you to invite me. Appreciate that. Um, yeah, my background in microgrids goes back quite a distance. Uh, when I was working at Semper Energy in San Diego, California, uh, I was uh, responsible for helping develop the first commercial-grade utility microgrid since the late 1800s. And since then, I got hooked on the idea of microgrids, helped develop microgrids across the U.S., uh, ultimately uh, did some work for the U.S. State Department in India, helping India develop public-private partnerships and microgrids, uh, worked in West Africa, uh, in East Africa for several years, developing microgrid projects for different energy ministers, and then ultimately rounded up my career here uh, after 20 years uh, in Australia, helping out Western Australia develop their advanced microgrid portfolio, where we're moving away from traditional electromechanical systems to more digitized microgrid systems, leveraging state-of-the-art technology. My objectives in life uh, in my career are to advance the industry and help grow the industry. So 
quite a bit of my work recently, uh, probably over the last 10 years, has been developing different consortium of organizations that have a different responsibility for uh, encouraging the growth of microgrid industry. Um, presently, I'm doing a bit of consulting in the microgrid space uh, here in Australia. Uh, this seems to be a great opportunity for new growth. Uh, I think that the market is uh, you know, growing worldwide, and I'm very happy to be here uh, kind of telling what's happening here in Australia. Great. Well, and we're happy to have you joining us. Uh, well, I, I would say here in the United States, but maybe we're uh, we're in in the podcast land that stretches across the entire globe. It's a flat world. Um, it is a flat world these days. You know, so I mentioned that I lead an organization called Think Microgrid. We spend a lot of time trying to educate policymakers in particular about the different kinds of microgrids, the different uh, policy issues that are associated with them. And so one of the things that we come up across quite a bit is what exactly is a microgrid? Clearly the word makes it easy to understand that it's a small grid. Um, but you know, different people have different definitions. I tend to rely on the idea that a microgrid is more than just a backup generator, that it's a cluster of resources that can operate in parallel with the grid, uh, but also can operate in an islandable mode and can um, disconnect from the grid. I'm wondering, Hamada, I'm going to turn the question to you first. Do, does that definition make sense or would you change that definition at all? And I'm curious if you have an example of a recent project that you've worked on um, that that you think is a good example of a microgrid? Yeah, I think that uh, definition aligns well with my understanding as well. So as you know, uh, many entities have their own uh, definitions like IEEE, SIGRE, microgrid knowledge, but uh, overall what you said, they're interconnected loads and distributed energy resources. Uh, that um, are controlled with an entity and can act as a grid-connected mode or uh, islanded mode. And um, one example that I want to point out from our company is the Arling Arlington Microgrid uh, located in Washington State uh, that was commissioned in 2022, very, a very recent project. So uh, this is related to the snowpod, uh, which is a public electric utility, and uh, um, uh, that goes back to the definition of microgrid. So it, uh, it includes both um, solar PV, a 500 kilowatt solar PV, 1 megawatt and 1.4 megawatt hour power store, uh, energy storage solutions, uh, 350 kilowatt backup genset, and also a two bi-directional six kilowatt electric vehicle chargers. So I think this is a, this could be a good example for uh, the state-of-the-art microgrid that has uh, all the components that we are looking at. Uh, it has a successful demonstration of V2G, uh, grid support and ancillary services, renewable energy integration, and resiliency and disaster recovery. Yeah, that does sound like an interesting project there. There's a lot, a lot uh, mixed in there. So Terry, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, are, are there any nuances of how you would define a microgrid and 
And maybe you can share, you know, a project that you've worked on recently as a good example. Sure. Thanks, Cameron. Uh, I think that uh, my definition would uh, amend that your definition just slightly by uh, encouraging people to think about advanced technologies like telemetry, communications, real-time control, more or less the digitization, possibly even power electronics, where we look to uh, improve the production and capability of a microgrid through optimization and try to uh, balance out the availability of supply with the demand pretty much in real time. If we could do that, then we can reduce the overall cost of the investment. And so we need sophisticated controls and we need IT to support us. So that's where I've been focusing the last 10 years is thinking about how do we digitize a lot of the electrification systems, including microgrids. Uh, recently, I'm working on a project on uh, ocean energy. Uh, it's here in southern uh, part of Western Australia. Our goal here is to look at setting up a template or a system for all of Asia Pacific, where we have a lot of coastal communities that have very intermittent access to energy, or if they do have it, access to energy, it's diesel-based. And what we'd like to do is use the ocean as a means so we can have solar off offshore, we can have wind offshore, wave energy, current energy. Uh, we have a project here that has a surplus of generation right now going into one of our towns for all of our off-takers and our surplus is actually going into the plan to build a hydrogen production plant for use in uh, backup reserves. And uh, we will have sufficient supply in the hydrogen actually to export that into a local pipeline. Wow, that sounds like a pretty interesting project as well. You know, I, I it makes me think, um, you know, microgrids have really caught a lot of attention in the past year or two. There's an ob one obvious answer for that, which would be that we launched the organization Think Microgrid a little under a year ago. So clearly that's what everyone's paying attention to is our organization. But in all seriousness, it seems to me like microgrids um, have a really strong role to play around uh, a transition to cleaner energy resources, providing resilience, and certainly in the United States, I think looking at issues around equity and access to energy. You know, I'm wondering, Hamada, in the projects that you're involved with and what you're seeing, what do you see as as maybe some of the drivers, or what do you think is is driving a lot of the interest in microgrids right now? Uh, so I think one of the uh, interests, as uh, you mentioned, are related to the extreme weather um, that uh, that are like hurricanes, wildfires that that put more pressure and challenges on the grid, and that requires uh, upgrading the infrastructure or you know investing in microgrids. Um, one example that uh, I can give you is the project that. Um, I worked on uh, that's located in Grand Bahamas um, and uh, they were uh, having power quality issues uh, related to the dynamic loads operation of the cranes and that was causing um, in, um, 
stress and the gensets. And um, actually, I visited the island in 2017, and uh, I led the pre-sale technical discussions for that project. Uh, so um, at that time when I visited the island, I could see the the impact of hurricane on some of the structures and buildings from the previous hurricane. So that project was commissioned in 2019. So uh, we uh, installed the 10 megawatt and 7 megawatt hour energy storage. And the primary objective was to provide um, frequency support and improve the power quality. But... Uh, Again, the Hurricane Dorian in 2019, I think a few months after the commissioning, um, hit the island and there were some uh, power outages uh, due to that uh, extreme weather. And, uh, you know, the, um, our, our uh, product and our uh, energy storage systems could help the island uh, restore the power at that time. So, you know, um, I think uh, it was first uh, primary uh, designed to uh, provide the frequency regulation and uh, support the future investment of renewables, but it could also provide additional services like restoration and uh, increasing reliability. So I think um, we are seeing more challenges on the grid and um, also the solution of the microgrids have the capability to provide many aspects uh, as solutions. Yeah, I, it certainly seems like there's a lot of extreme weather events mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, whether it's wildfires here in the western states or some of the hurricanes that are coming up from the Gulf or hitting the East Coast. Um, these kinds of disruptions uh, are seem to be happening more and more. And I think we're so much more dependent on energy these days that the impact is is just that much stronger. Terry, I'm curious, you know, on the international front, uh, do you, is it similar in terms of what's motivating some of the projects that you're, you're either involved with or people's interest and policymakers' interests in microgrids, or are there other dynamics at play in, in other markets? I do have to agree with Hemda that for central grid microgrids, uh, and the rationale behind their investment uh, makes a lot of sense to localize the impact and reduce the burden, particularly the outage links. Uh, and these are for you know large grids, uh, hundreds of thousands, if not uh, millions of customers. But in many of the cases, as I indicated in my opening remarks, um, I've worked in countries where access to energy was probably not even existent. And a lot of countries that are trying to grow their gross domestic product found that um, their infrastructure investments were across many different industries. And when I helped support some of those countries, I looked at public-private partnerships where we can bring in third-party investment in energy infrastructure. And if we were able to create a microgrid that's owned and operated by a third-party investor, then perhaps we can increase the scale and scope of the growth of that uh, electrification process. And we became very successful at it. Um, after five years in India, we developed over 10,000 microgrids by primarily private sector investment and uh, about 3,000 microgrids built in uh, Kenya and Uganda. And these were all private sector. But the thing is, my role was to help support the integration of third-party investments into the bulk power system. 
here in Australia, uh, same story. We have a lot of regional areas that are supported by microgrids. Those areas were originally built with diesel as their primary mode of generation, but over time, many of the constituent members of the consumer base were putting solar on the rooftop. And we found the challenges were very difficult to, to overcome managing frequency and, and voltage, as Hamada just mentioned. So we started to incorporate uh, sophisticated control systems where we actually controlled the inverters on consumers' homes to encourage the consumer to be a producer. And on one project that we had in Onslow, which is in Western Australia, uh, we started out with eight diesel generators for the community. Uh, after we installed the control system, we downsized that to four diesel generators. And last year, the very first year, after two years of, uh, of operations, we were able to go 100% diesel off, carbon-free. So we used uh, state-owned uh, electric storage, solar panels, and then consumer storage and uh, solar rooftop. So the, the entire system was operated without any thermal rotating mass. A series supporter of Grid Forward Chats is ITRON. ITRON provides utilities in more than 100 countries with advanced network, software, meters, and sensors, helping them automate their operations, improve grid reliability, and integrate diverse energy resources. Learn more about building tomorrow's active grid at ITRON.com. You know, certainly that challenge of how to integrate in private capital with um, more public funds, whether it's ratepayer funding or coming out of the tax base. That's certainly a challenge that that exists here in the United States and in the different market structures that go from one state to the next. Uh, and, and that may end up help dictating sort of how different microgrids develop. Um, you know, Hamada, I'm curious from, um, you know, your experience, are there sort of trends that you see or hot spots, whether they're geographic hotspots or particular applications of where you're seeing microgrids uh, developing the most or, or where there's the most activity? Yeah, uh, so that's a good question. So um, I think the, uh, the history of our solution, the power store goes back to Australia and remote communities. So uh, when I look at the uh, global map of um, where, are, where we have projects and where we have microgrids, I see that in islands and remote communities, there's a cluster. Uh, it's, it's high density of microgrids. But uh, now uh, there's a trend that we can see uh, more complicated and sophisticated microgrids in mainland and urban areas as well. Uh, so now I think the trend is moving to, towards more uh, resiliency uh, with uh, the objective of microgrids to be as a uh, reliability and resiliency comparing to the one that was just uh, from uh, a backup generator in remote and islands. And I think one of the uh, so we have many projects in Alaska, Caribbean, and European islands, but uh, also one of the projects that um, I was involved recently was uh, about a resiliency as a service project 
for a utility in UK. Uh, so it was about the strong grid, uh, but uh, the reason that they were looking for a micro grid and energy storage uh, investment was uh, due to the to, to some of the outages that they were facing, and they didn't want to uh, they rely to have a poor reliability for their customers. Uh, so one of them, um, one of the solution was looking at energy storage, and I looked at how energy storage can uh, black start the network in case of an outage, and how it can provide seamless transition from uh, grid connected to the island mode. So I think it's um, the trend is it's uh, now turning into more sophisticated and complicated microgrid having more components. Yeah, that's interesting, and and it's definitely very interesting the transition you describe from sort of a remote application and just being able to to have access to energy to uh, more of the resiliency uh, need and value of just making sure that these facilities continue to have energy when things get disrupted. Terry, is that a consistent trend in the work that you see, this idea of moving from energy access to resiliency, or are there kind of other factors at play overseas and in some of the projects that you're involved with? Well, Cameron, absolutely, I agree with Hamden's uh, viewpoint on that particular topic. Uh, We talk about uh, the objectives of owners having uh, an interest in improving their own sustainability footprint or their resiliency, reliability footprint, or even their economic outcome, uh, trying to reduce the cost of energy production. Um, those are kind of the three main areas where we see the uh, private sector wanting to make investments on their own. Uh, but what I've seen in terms of trends is uh, a casual, if if not progressive, shift towards uh um, policy that encourages the adoption of private sector investment. We would have thought about this idea of private sector investment in electrification 10, 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, but we're seeing a shift in the policymakers to move away the barriers so that the incumbent monopoly utility doesn't have complete control over uh, access to consumers. And here in Australia, we call that contestability. Uh, other countries, uh, they have other objectives. I know uh, the work that is being done in California started around community choice aggregation, ultimately leading to the adoption of uh, microgrids by private sector investments. And we're seeing little by little that countries are starting to change their viewpoint on private sector investment because they see of kind of those three attributes that I mentioned, they see that there's actually improvement and they can get better better consumer um, approval ratings of their electrification. So I think for me, what I'm seeing is the tr- one of the bigger trends is uh, the, the shift in policy to allow private sector investment. Yeah, that's very interesting. And certainly there's a lot of interest in activity. Um, and it's not just for microgrids. I, I think it's for distributed gener- generation and distributed energy resources overall. You know, a lot of c- 
customers and individuals seem to be more and more interested in investing in their own uh, equipment and resources and taking some control of their energy destiny. And that balance of, you know, how you integrate those into the electric system, especially one that has grown up under, as you described, this kind of monopoly model uh, is, is a challenge. I know, you know, as I look around, there's a lot of opportunities and some utility programs and proposals to own and operate what are essentially behind the meter resources. Uh, and that works in some regulatory systems, but in a lot of other regulatory systems here in the United States, that would, that would not be okay. Uh, people, people would resist against that and then wouldn't be very excited about that. Yeah, I'm wondering, and Hamid, I'm going to ask you this question first, but, you know, as we see some of these larger trends, especially around distributed energy resources, you know, and knowing that the electric industry and the energy industry overall are, are constantly going through evolution and transitions, you know, what do you see as the next big transition? Where, where do you see the industry heading over the next 10 to 20 years? That's a very interesting question. <laughs> so uh, where the industry is heading in 10 or 20 years, that's difficult to answer. But uh, my guess is definitely towards a more uh, green future, a green uh, grid with a more uh, integrated um, distributed generation, uh, energy storage. Um, we, can, we will see more electric vehicles penetration and um, so I think definitely more uh, more diverse resources and uh, definitely the customers would be also prosumers they can interact and they can participate in the market and provide services and then get paid so I think that's um, somehow how the how I see the trend towards for the future so it's a greener, more diverse, more interactive. Yeah. Future. Terry, what about you? Do you would you share that view of a greener, interactive, more complex set of resources? Where where do you see the industry heading? I absolutely agree with that. Uh, I think though that that particular activity taking place, this new investment in energy uh, resources, has dire consequences, um, possibly with the monopoly utility, but certainly with the transmission system. We're going to be seeing uh, much more investment in bulk wind and bulk solar, and those will be injected into the transmission system, causing chaos. I think the utilities that buy power from the transmission system uh, will be looking for alternatives to how do they manage not only their own distribution network with the consequences downstream with the high penetration DER, but also with the challenges of frequency and voltage on the transmission grid. To help mitigate that, uh, we're making recommendations. My groups uh, that I work with are making recommendations to build microgrids that can inject resources into the wholesale market and be able to move energy in and out of the wholesale market 
sort of the way that uh, virtual power plants work today, but also sustaining a community so that it could be islanded for its own right, or it can be able to export or import resources from the wholesale system uh, at an advantage, economic advantage to the investor. So this is an area that I think is a growth uh, place for us um, as we encourage larger microgrids to be built, particularly those on industrial parks. Uh, just as a way as example, I'm working with uh, a, a group, a, a, an agency within Western Australia that is responsible for allocating land. And what we're looking at is how do we identify the best application of land for industrial purposes that supports um, the, the populace. Uh, it's not just for the best outcome for the investor, but how does it actually create a social good? And so we're looking at the places where uh, the transmission system is undergoing tremendous strain, which we call congestion, that we look at those places for possible investments in new microgrids. Interesting. And, you know, so I've got a, a couple more questions for you guys, but um, as your last question kind of, or last answer, I should say, um, brings this question to mind. So we've talked a little bit about the technology and some of the trends going forward and, and what's driving the industry, what's driving the technology. But each of you needs to get up out of bed every day and go to work. I'm wondering, you know, what drives you and what motivates you? Um, Hamada, as you are in doing the work that you're doing, um, what drives you to do that? And what do you think the impact, that, what is the impact that you hope for? Yeah, so um, I think the impact that I hope my my work and my efforts um, have would be uh, definitely helping this transition, um, have a small impact on the transition to a greener, stronger uh, grid for the future, and, uh, you know, uh, also making um customers uh, having more have access to the power and also a reliable power uh, so yeah i think because as you mentioned these days um, everything is uh, depending on electricity uh, what we saw in the pandemic was that even um, education was uh, depending on electricity so those uh, children who didn't have access to power they couldn't pursue their education. So um, I'm very uh, passionate about the power industry and uh, definitely my goal is to uh, be able to have a small impact uh, for, the, uh, for the people to get, ha to get access to the power and also reliable power yeah. and green as well. <laughs> Sound like all good objectives. Terry, what do you hope the impact of your work is is going to be in the near term? What what motivates you every day when you're getting up? Sure, thanks, Cameron. And coincidentally, I think you and I have had this conversation before. What really motivates me around this industry? Because uh, I like the growth of DER, and that's an area that I really enjoy working. Uh, but I do I I like the idea of a microgrid, um, not so much as a means in which to 
change the way in which electric utilities work, but more of uh, looking at how do we solve a global problem. Uh, and this is this is an honest goal. This is uh, one that I've taken on over the last 10 years. How do we eliminate energy poverty globally? And as you know, uh, in the energy sector, there are many different players and different technology niches. In the microgrid space, there's even more. And we've coined the term kind of this taxonomy of architecture. How do you look at all the various facets of businesses that contribute into the microgrid space? And just to illustrate, I'm talking about finance organizations, uh, EPC companies, control and monitoring companies, sensor and telemetry companies, generators, um, all, all of these have their own industry sector focus. But in the microgrid space, we're bringing them all together and they have to work together in a way in which they can all benefit. So how do we solve this global problem of lack of energy supply so that people's basic lifestyle can improve? We can put uh, LED lights in bedrooms so children can read at night and they don't have to read under a kerosene lantern. I mean, how do how do we do that as an industry? And so that's what my focus has been over the last 10 years is bringing that group of different industries together to come to a common goal to solve this energy poverty problem. Well, I'm glad that you guys are have the motivations that you do because I I really like those visions and I like the idea that you both are working towards towards these goals, which I think we all need. So it's been really delightful to be able to talk to both of you and to share some of these experiences and, and learn from you about what some of the trends are and, and where things are going. You know, I just have one more question to sort of wrap things up. Um, and to some degree, you, you may have each answered it a little bit in describing what motivates you. Um, but I'm curious as we look forward you know, how do you think, especially, you know, the past couple of years have been hard for all of us, I think. Um, and Hamada, you described, you know, children who are having a hard time just go getting an education because our worlds have been so disrupted and, they're, and we're so dependent on energy. But I want to believe as we step into, you know, this year and as things seem to be uh, getting back to what we might to be consider to be normal. How do you think that microgrids are going to make the world a better place? Hamid, I'm going to ask you that first. So how, how do you think microgrids going forward are going to make the world a better place? It sounds like we've already touched on, you know, making, making the grid cleaner, more resilient, more equitable, are there are there any images that you'd want to leave us with of of what that world looks like with microgrids more fully uh, embedded in it? Uh, yeah, definitely. So I think uh, uh, a hope for future would be that the microgrid can uh, mitigate some of the climate change problems that are causing uh, extreme weather and power outages uh, by integrating 
green resources and re as renewables and flexible resources as energy storage uh, to provide multiple functionalities and also provide um, access to the power uh, in a in a green way. So I think that's the uh, future I can uh, I would like to uh, envision for microgrids that can be somehow help the uh, climate change problems. Yeah, great. And so Terry, to, to close out, any any thoughts from you about, you know, do you have an image or what do you what do you see as microgrids role beyond what we've talked about in making the world a better place? Thanks, Cameron. Uh, so my thoughts uh, kind of go in different directions, but I'll start with kind of the underlying thought. This is a growing industry. The, the microgrid space is a growing industry. Uh, five years ago, I said it was nascent. Today, I say it's growing. I think it probably is going to grow quite rapidly as we see more and more private sector investment and the wealth that can be created by building microgrids and owning them and operating them on behalf of many customers. I see that the challenge that lies ahead is that people will consider microgrids as uh, just another tool in the toolbox. However, many of these microgrids are bespoke, very unique, specifically tuned for a specific purpose. And there we start to lose the industry. And so our objective and what our hope is, is that we can come up with ways in which we can standardize our approach for building microgrids and they then become just a standard tool, not one that has to be customized every time it's installed. So my hope is that as we continue to bring in new partners into the complex orchestration of managing a microgrid, that in our cooperation, we standardize our implementation strategies and we um, provide more reliable solutions and products specific to the, the growth of that industry where everybody wins. So that's going to be a big challenge, uh, but it's my hope that we have enough people with that same kind of notion that uh, we need to provide economic approaches. Not that we're going to replace the traditional utility, but where microgrids make sense, let's ensure that they are uh, you know, as well designed and orchestrated as we can get them to be. Absolutely. Well, I really want to thank both of you for taking the time to join us today and to share your experience and to have this conversation about microgrids. Um, there's clearly a lot going on and a lot of opportunity moving forward. So thank you so much for being here. And uh, hopefully we'll have another opportunity to chat with you soon. Thanks for the opportunity, Cameron. Good meeting you. The same. Thanks, Cameron. Thanks, Terry. Thank yeah. you all. Bye. Thanks again to our supporter, ITRON. If you're interested in Grid Forward membership and our work to accelerate grid modernization and energy innovation, including the backlog of our podcast, visit us at gridforward.org. And if you like the podcast, please share it with your friends and colleagues and give us a rating on your favorite podcast app. Thanks.